Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages. Welcome everyone to episode 11 of my two cents podcast, which is entitled Look, have mercy on me, have mercy on my soul. Mercy on my soul. And that song is coming from Pop Smoke's Got It On Me. Um, Pop Smoke has been gone for a year now. Recipes of Pop Smoke and recipes of Kobe Bryant and Gia Bryant. And prayers up to Pop Smoke's family, um, the Bryants, um, people that lost their lives family that lost their lives also in the Kobe Bryant uh helicopter accident well accident uh I wish everything could be different for them but they got to move forward and I just wish nothing but best for every family involved in um that tragic incident that happened over a year ago in the Kobe Bryant um helicopter crash and also in the pop smoke um home invasion and resulting of him losing his life but um Let's try to get to happier news. Before I get to any of that, let me get down to my national food uh, day of the national foods of the week. Today, February 28th is souffle day. Tomorrow, February 29th is frog legs, frog legs day. March 1st is peanut butter lovers day. March 2nd, banana cream pie day. March 3rd, cold cuts in Moscow mule day. March 4th, pound cake day. March 5th, Cheese Doodle Day, and March 6th, Oreo Day. Now, before I get into my topics for this episode, I want to pick up on one thing that happened last week um, that I particularly don't care for, and I wish that a whole lot of media sites would cover on it more and really shine a light on how this is bad and how it shows why people of color, majority black folks, have a big disdain towards the justice system. I'm going to read this to you, and this comes from NPR, um, NPR.com, I believe. What is it? NPR.org. My bad. NPR.org. Anyway, the title is Amy Cooper, white woman who called police on black bird watcher has Charges dismissed. Now, if you don't want to know this, this was happening um, in 2020. This happened last year. It was a white woman that was a a white woman in New York City. She called the police on a black man. He was bird watching, and she made um, some <laughs> she made some felonious um, charges towards a man, saying that he threatened her and her dog's life, which was not true at all. She made false reports. I'm about to read a statement that was provided to NPR um, by the assistant district attorney that told to a Manhattan judge. Given the issues at hand and Mrs. Cooper's lack of criminal background, we offered her consistent with our position on many misdemeanor cases involving a first arrest and alternative restorative justice resolution and that resolution was she would have to do um 
classes to rectify her being racist. And I was paraphrasing that whole situation of going to classes, but going to classes and uh, from her being racist or educating her about calling about false reports on a person of color. How do you not know in this day and age, in this time that we're in, that making a false report on not only a person of color, but a black man to be specific after in during that time was the murdering of George Floyd and everything else going around that time, that time frame. Do you not already pick up that? Oh, yeah. Calling and making a false report on somebody is not the way to go, especially a person of color, especially a black man. How do you not know that's not good? First and foremost, making a false report, you should go to jail for that alone because you're wasting cops time. You're wasting time that they could use to actually go out and do their job instead of sitting on their butts doing nothing, which some officers do, and I'm criticizing the ones that do. I'm not criticizing the officers that actually do their job thoroughly. But with this instance, she made a false report. She got hit with a slap on the wrist. She had to do <laughs> classes to stop or put a little damper on her racismness, And we're supposed to be okay with that. No, no, no community service time, no at least 30 days in jail or something like that. No jail time. Jail time is the ultimate scare sense. You rob somebody, you got to go to jail. You're hoping or the big overwhelming idea of jail, quote unquote, is that you go in there, you try to better yourself and make sure you never go in there again. But that's not the case with this. She didn't go to jail at all. She took sensitivity classes. That is for a person that works in a job to go and do sensitivity classes whenever you're being a douche or a prick to one of your co-workers. That's a sensitivity class. What is this? This is making a legitimate false report Upon somebody that could have had this man, for the love of God, in the worst case scenario, him dead. The best case scenario, him going to jail and facing some time or at least doing some community service. If they would have found something, if they would have, if anything would have happened. That's what I'm getting at here, folks. She should have been put to jail for making false accusations. Anybody that makes false accusations should go to jail. Because that's what you have jails for, right? Quote, unquote, to make you understand that you did something wrong, to make sure that you understand that you belong here because you did something wrong and that you never do that again. That's what a jail slash prison system is supposed to be. But for us, and when I mean us, I'm talking about people of color. We all know the prison system is there just to put us there to try to break us mentally and physically. Because some guards probably beat other uh, inmates up and probably have people to beat up other inmates. Let's call it. Let's call a spade a spade. 
I don't know this because I'm not in it, but there's stories around online. There's stories for former inmates. Come on, you can Google this. You can do a YouTube channel on this. There are YouTube channels about this, but nevertheless, I don't want this whole episode to be about this lady because I got <laughs> things I actually do want to talk about, but this one was a big talking point for me in my own head because when I found out about this as I was going doing my schoolwork and this flashed up on my phone, I was heated and just upset. See, right here, and also reason NPR, the Manhattan District Attorney's Office charged Amy Cooper in July, and had she been convicted of a the Class A misdemeanor, she could have faced up to one year in jail, a fine, or both. You didn't give her any jail time. You gave her a slap on the wrist for being able to make a false statement that could have cost somebody their lives. They could have had somebody being extremely manhandled by police officers. It's happened. We've seen it over and over again. It keeps getting played over and over again in the black person, in the black um, psyche for us. Cops are not for us. But that's the tagline. Cops are here to protect and serve. They're supposed to protect every American civilian. <laughs> not black Americans, which in certain cases they do, but in this one, they failed miserably. The justice system failed miserably. I'm going to say this on every podcast that I am on. The justice system failed miserably. I'm going to criticize it and condemn it every time it actually screws up. Every time it actually does its job, you get a, you get a clap. I'm going to install a clapping sound bite on here and you'll get this. You get a clap from it. But right now, this is a straight up. This was a boo boo job. Do better. Do better. And people that make false reports on people of color, stop it. Stop it now. Do better. Do better with yourself. Now on to things I actually do want to talk about. I got three topics I want to talk about since today is the last day that I can actually do a podcast episode about Black History Month until it turns March. My last three subjects I actually do want to cover on Black History Month are Black food, Black homes, and I'm saving this one specifically last to tie it all together. The Black Church. <laughs> I got a lot to say about the Black Church, but let me start with Black food. Soul food, if you will. Soul food it is the background, it is the backbone for black people whenever they want to eat, it eats well. We have been stereotyped with fried chicken, Kool-Aid, and watermelon. That is the stereotype that I don't know how it got labeled and thrusted onto us. I'm a man that, well, I like fried chicken. I have no problem with Kool-Aid. Watermelon I find absolutely disgusting. And yes, I find that disgusting. Matter of fact, I'll give you guys a little tidbit right now. It messes with my brain because I tried watermelon, watermelon once and it is crispy until you bite it and then it starts to get mushy. 
straight, 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 turning into straight up mush. I can't, my brain can't function it. My brain can't figure it out. That makes me have to come to the conclusion that it is disgusting. And plus, I don't like the taste of it. An apple tastes way better. A peach tastes way better. A pomegranate tastes way better. A mango tastes way better. There's other fruits that I personally like that I just don't rock with watermelon. So, and let me give you a story. I'm in my school, high school. People are eating. And it happens to land on fried chicken and watermelon in the cafeteria. At this time in my life, I didn't bring food to school and I didn't eat food at my school. I will only chew gum and drink water. And when I mean by water, I had a water bottle. I didn't drink out of the school fountain. I had a water bottle and I just chewed gum from the time I got up, got done brushing my teeth, washing up, and popped gum in my mouth all on the way from inside my home to to school and during school to way my back to way back home. So that is from eight to two fifty five. That is how many hours is that? 9, 10, 11, 12, 1, 2. That is a good 6 hours and 55 minutes school time. But if you count the time that I actually had to walk to school or drive to school, because at the time in high school, I did was able to drive. That's about a good ooh, 6.30, so that still dock it. Whatever time period that it is. So 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 1, 2. Still, that's seven hours and 50, nope, seven hours and 25 minutes, 7.30 to 2.55. I will have gum in my mouth from that time to that time, all day, every day, whenever it was time for school. And let me get back to the story here, because I diverted. The day, that day, it was watermelon and fried chicken day other sides that went with that lunch I sit with a group of people and a guy walks over with his watermelon and fried chicken he thinks he's going to uh he thinks he's being funny with the joke he says this to me and looking back at it now and even then at that time I knew that okay this 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 guy think he's trying to be funny but uh I'm about to blow his mind in a minute he says you, you like fried chicken, don't you? I said, yeah. So does everybody else. He says this. You like watermelon? I bet you want a piece of this watermelon. I said, actually, no. I think watermelon is disgusting. He has a look on his face. Like, that just blew his mind that a black person doesn't like watermelon. And this is a legitimate story here, ladies and gentlemen. I'm not going to say anything false when I, in this story. He can't believe that I don't like watermelon. I told him, nah, I don't like watermelon. He said, you don't like watermelon? I said, nah, I think it's disgusting. He said, you don't like watermelon? Like, seriously, you don't like... I'm like, no, I don't like watermelon. What are you not understanding? And he just sat there like, wow, he really don't like watermelon. People around me were like, yeah, the guy don't like watermelon. Let him, let him be, man. Quit being a douche. That's the thing. Don't judge. Don't... Do not... Take the stereotype seriously. People are going to be labeled with stereotypes throughout the rest of their lives. White people have the stereotype of they can't season their food all the way well as good 
as black people, Hispanics, uh, um, Orientals, white people are on the bottom totem pole when it comes down to seasoning food. That is their stereotype. Jews has a stereotype, but they like to keep money. They're money hungry. I'm not sure. <laughs> that Hey, I'm just reading on. I'm just able to tell you exactly what the stereotypes are. And Hispanics got the stereotype of <sighs> crossing the border, being illegal. People be making stupid, illegal alien jokes, asking people or they for their green cards. I mean, by God. There's so many stereotypes that every race has to deal with that other races won't have to deal with. But I'm only talking about mine because, well, I'm black. This is my podcast and uh, this is what I'm going to do. So let me get back to my main focus here. Soul food is ours. Soul food is what we do best. I haven't had soul food from any other race that can compare to when I've had it of a black person's soul food. And it's amazing to me how we get that, how that, how we mastered that, how we mastered making fried chicken, how we mastered doing mashed potatoes in a certain way that is so good that nobody can turn that down. We mastered, um, making potato salad and macaroni salad and we mastered doing collard greens and if you want to get down into it people uh mastered in this is in um certain people's own choosing certain people eat chitlin and if you don't know what chitlin is that is the inside of that's the innards of a pig they have to clean it out. They say it smells disgusting, but they have to clean it out thoroughly. And they cook it. I don't know how they cook it. I've never had to cook chitlins. I'm the cook in my family. Everybody in my family can tell you that. They never brought me chitlins to cook, thank God. Because I would tell them, nah, I don't mess with that. Um, but yeah, we soul food it has a lot to do with a lot of things. The normal thing in my household for um soul food is fried chicken and if not fried chicken we substitute it for um pork chops and if we don't have pork chops we substitute it for uh what is it do we substitute what do what else do i cook away from uh soul food um god you know lamb from time to time but the usual sides or um, mashed potatoes, collard greens. If not mashed potatoes, we go and do the route of potato salad and mac and cheese and cornbread. Uh, what else? And probably like some other like stream beans, corn, something like that. But the main things are usually uh, cornbread, collard greens, potato salad, mashed potatoes, mac and cheese, and like the big uh, meaty dish. And just to prove my point here, Bobby Smurder came out of prison this week. Thank God for Bobby Smurder for keeping it down, holding it down for real ones out here. Um, not snitching, constantly doing his uh he did what he he did he did what he did. He paid his consequences, he paid his debt to society, ladies and gentlemen. He paid his debt to society. He's a free man, you gotta let him be. 
But when he came out, he came home and he got and he wanted 50 pounds of oxtails. That was the big story whenever he got out. That he had 50 pounds of oxtails waiting for him when he got home. Oxtails, yes, that's also another thing. Good God, thank you. Oxtails is another thing that I'm able to cook over here. And I I cook a variety of things. Anyway, getting to my point here. Soul food is what black people have mastered. For me, soul food is ranked at, if I had to do a ranking, I would do, ooh, I'm probably going to catch some heat for this. Uh, I put soul food number two, Chinese food number one, and Italian food third. That's my ranking, and I'm going to tell you the exact reason why I put uh, Chinese food over uh, soul food. Chinese food takes a lot of preparations because I've made Chinese food myself, and you got to prep that. You got to get a lot of uh, ingredients for it. You, you got to let things legit marinate and do its business. And with that process, you're able to have to mess with noodles. You have to mess with rice. You have to mess with... Uh, all the vegetables that go with a certain dish. You have to mess with certain, you know, a whole lot of things, and then you got to make sure that it's right so that all these flavors will blend in together and do all that. Same thing you do with soul food, but uh, Chinese food is just a whole lot much more steps to it. And with that, I like the challenge of it because I like the way of keeping my mind busy in the kitchen. I'm usually in the kitchen. I'm by myself. I don't ask for help in there. I'm just so ba ba ba. do this, do that. They'll call me, they'll ask, do you want help? I said, nah, I'm good. But I'm just so in my, I'm in my element in the kitchen. I can make my food, do that, bang, bang, done. And Chinese food, I'm able to think more. I have to think more to get this right and get that right. And I get frustrated if I don't have this, but my more than less, my mother has a plethora of things that I'm able to substitute one thing out for another. But Chinese food tastes good, even though when we have Chinese food, you probably eat it, and then when the next couple hours, you're back to be hungry again. But nevertheless, Chinese food just has that everlasting flavorness that I personally like. It does not take away from soul food. And people like to use this college term. That's like 1A and 1B or something like that. Either way, I just put Chinese food over to soul food. But that's not downgrading soul food. Soul food. And I forgot to mention, if not, if we don't have, going back to it, if we don't have pork chops, uh, fried chicken, there's ribs. I almost forgot ribs. And I just made ribs a couple days ago. For the love of God. How could I forget that? Ribs is something that you really have to put pride into because people put pride into ribs. People put pride into a whole lot of things, but black people, we put pride into ribs. We put pride into our mac and cheese. Mac and cheese, I'm about to talk to you about that in a minute. But when you put the seasoning onto ribs, you got to lay it on and just spread it nicely and do it well. You got to let that meat marinate in a bag and probably put it with other meat that you marinated together so all that meat flavor can go together and you put it inside the oven and I just learned this trick thanks to my mother thank you mom yet again you put your meat in the pan 
you tinfoil it underneath the meat, you put tinfoil on the top, you put it in the oven. I put my ribs in for 375 for about a good two hours, two and a half. It all depends on if it's pork or uh, beef ribs until it's soft enough that the rib can come off the bone. And whenever it's time for that, and you know when it's time, because when you take the tinfoil off the top, you see it, it looks golden, and you can just mess, and you just pull the meat a little bit, and if it starts coming off the bone, you're like, okay, it's time. You put your barbecue sauce on it, you put it back in the oven, you broil it, you know, you get in a nice crisp cover over it, let the uh, oven crisp it up so it could be nicely good, and you take it out, magnifique, once it's done. Let me get back to my point here. Whenever you have ribs in a family, in a black family staple, that is a big fighting situation. And there is a video out here on uh, one of these platforms. Hold on, let me give you that plat. Let me give you that video title right now. Hold on, one minute. It's on. If you go to YouTube, it's on BuzzFeed Video. It's called "Black Dads Try Other Black Dads Barbecue." I looked at that video about a two years ago when I was waiting for one of my classes to start anyway it's a funny video but it gives you a good definition of how black uh fathers and black individuals take their food real seriously you'll get into a whole big um disagreement about the food i mean it's a whole thing black food black people in our food we take that big serious it's nothing to joke around whenever something's nasty by god will you hear Every word from every family member straight up just telling you how trash that food was. Matter of fact, funny story here. I made, uh, what was it? Ooh, I think I made, uh, meatloaf or some type of, uh, I made some type of meaty meal. And I'm usually okay. I'm, I'm good in the kitchen. I'm good. Let's not get it twisted. I'm good in the kitchen. I do my I do my job. I do the thing. And I make the meal, right? And I serve it to my mother. And my mother's not one to hold back if to tell you if the food's trash or the food's great. She'll tell you she'll tell anybody uh if their food's not good or if their food's good. And I get Hit with Joe. This food ain't good at all. Stop. This this food. This wasn't it. This wasn't it. No. This food wasn't it at all. And I'm always able to take it on the chin. Like, all right, cool. I'm able to take it on the chin because I know that my mom's telling me this so I can be better at making food for us. Another key uh, little quirk about me, ladies and gentlemen. I don't cook for nobody except for my family because I'm not. I know what my family eats. I know what they're allergic to if they do become allergic to something. But I know exactly what they eat. I don't cook for nobody else. So if anybody asks me to cook for them, I'm going to cook the way that I will cook for my family. And if you like the way I do it, that's cool. And if you don't like the way I do it, that's also cool with me too. I just know that, ayo, hey, that's the way I cook for my family. If you don't like it, eh, too bad, so sad. You ask for a meal. You ask for a plate. Don't ask me to substitute something just because you might like don't like garlic powder. You might want me to switch it over to like some type of other powder. I'm going to hit you with the nah. 
let me let me do my deal. Matter of fact, I'll probably give you an uh, evil look and tell you to get out of my face as I'm making the food. I get that serious because that's my safe haven. That's where I know time can just float for me. I can float and I can do my job. I can do my business when I'm in the kitchen making food. Getting back to the point and the story. My mom told me, hey, yo, the food's not good. My mom is my best and slash worst critic. If I want to hear the truth, if I want to know something, I always go to her. I love you, mom. Uh, she's the best. She tells me if something's trash. She tells me if something's good. She and I, and I love it. Um, certain people can't handle uh my mother's criticism. To tell you if it's trash or not. Your food's trash. Certain people get real uh uh in their feelings. But hey. If she tells you it's trash, she's trying to help you out. She ain't trying to she ain't uh, trying to kill you. Anyway, getting back to Black Failure. Sorry, I keep on going on different tangents. Black Foodie is serious. Ribs are serious. I think I've already covered that. Now let me get to mac and cheese, ladies and gentlemen. Every Thanksgiving, I make mac and cheese. Every time my family asks for mac and cheese, I make mac and cheese. And it's not store-bought mac and cheese. It is legitimate boil water. Put the noodles in. Take the noodles out. You got to get medium cheddar. You got to get extra sharp cheddar. You get a variety blend of uh, cheese. That whole thing to put into one pan. You get the egg. You get the milk. You get the butter. You get the salt and pepper. Uh, I'm probably forgetting something right now. I... Don't think I'm forgetting anything at the moment, but I probably am. Anyway, then you put it in the oven, you get it out so you can get that crispiness. You put no, you put tinfoil over it, you put it on for how long, whatever. You take it out, you take the cover off, and you start you start seeing the bubbles of it doing its buzz business. Anyway, mac and cheese is another serious thing. People get into fights about that, saying my mac and cheese is better than yours. Certain people like the extra cheesy mac and cheese. Certain people like the, all right, standard mac and cheese. Here's a quirk about me, ladies and gentlemen. I don't like baked mac and cheese. I'm cool with putting that mac and cheese in a pot. I make uh, the stove mac and cheese, not stove, the oven mac and cheese for my family. They like that mac and cheese. They're cool with any mac and cheese. They're cool with the uh, stovetop and the oven. So let me not make that sound like, oh my God, they just want oven. No, no, no. They're cool with both. But whenever it's like a Sunday, whenever it's time for like, all right, you got to make something on a Sunday, mac and cheese. I know off top, I'm not doing it on the stove because that's not what I usually do for, for my family. For holidays and on a specific certain Sundays, whenever it's time for like a big Sunday meal, that's the mac and cheese I give them. And you can look at multiple different videos on YouTube. Mac and cheese made by black folks. We all want it cheesy. We all have mad different cheeses that we use into it. But that's our deal. Mac and cheese, we'll fight over. That's just another thing. And if you don't like uh, a black person's mac and cheese, don't tell them that. Do not tell them that because you might get just you might get hit in your face. I'm not gonna lie to you. You might get you might get your face rocked. That's that's just one thing. And let me get to the big grandiose thing. Seasoning. 
we season down our food to the point that you might look at us and say, by God, that's too much seasoning. And we'll hit you with, nah, that's the right amount of seasoning. There are recipes that will tell you, okay, put in a tablespoon of salt, put in a, uh, two tablespoons of pepper, or they'll tell you the measurements to use. Nah, fam. I know this for a fact. Black people, we don't use measurements at all. We go with feeling. We got to feel out the seasoning process. We got to feel out if we put enough seasoning into something. You'll know it as you're pouring it in. You'll look at it. You'll eyeball it. You're like, all right, that's enough. Or you'll, as you're sprinkling it in, you're like, all right, that's cool. That's enough. We lace our food up to the point that you know that it's us. You'll have no doubt when you taste that fried chicken. You have no doubt when you taste that collard green. You have no doubt when you taste that uh, pork chop. You have no doubt when you taste the rib. You have no doubt when you taste the uh, cabbage. You have no doubt when you taste the cornbread. You have no doubt when you taste just our food in general. You have no doubt that it's made by us. Because you know that if it has mad seasoning in it, it's made by a black person. Matter of fact, nine out of ten times we'll say that's a black person's food if it has mad seasoning in it. I'm not trying to crap on anybody else's uh, ethnicities, uh, food style, or crap on somebody to say, well, that's not me. I put enough seasoning on it. I'm not crapping on you per se. I'm just speaking as a grand whole population for the black community we season our food down we get the job done we make sure that you leave flavorful we leave with a stomach full of food and we make sure that you enjoyed yourself eating that food we make sure that you want to have another plate because if you have another plate that solidified ayo that was good if you call me up and tell me, Gerald, make me a plate, that solidified to me, all right, I did my job. If somebody tells me, Gerald, you put your foot in this, and let me break that down to anybody. When somebody says you put your foot in this, they're saying that you did your job. You did your thing in the kitchen. You threw down in the kitchen. You did absolutely magnificent in this dish or in this Sunday meal or in this meal that's what you put your foot in this means you did it so Sunday not Sunday soul food for black people that's ours I don't think a black person is going to have a problem with somebody say when anybody going to tell us that you that soul food is you guys I don't think a black person is going to have a problem with that I think probably a person is going to say, you know what? Yeah, soul food is ours. And what? We cook better than you. And what? That's a, that is just a, um, that's just their opinion. And everybody has their own opinion. Everybody doesn't have to agree with everything. But that's just their opinion. And bringing it in to it with the black homes. And every black home, not 
in every black home, but in certain black homes, you'll get soul food almost every day. Certain black homes, you won't get soul food every day. You'll get it on a special day. But it got to have the right people leading the charge in a black family that will make that decision. See, for a black family dynamic, you got to have the mom, the dad, the children. That's the dynamic. Like for my family, where I have my mom, I have my dad, I have my brothers, and I have my sister. That's our dynamic. That's our power core. We're all together as one unit. We move as one, and I'm not going to say we always think as one, but nine times out of ten, we think as one. There's always that one out of ten that we have a big old clash over. There's always that one out of ten. But nine times out of ten, we move together as a solid unit. And not a lot of black families do that. You're starting to see it now. But when I was growing up, you didn't see a lot of black family dynamics moving together as one. You didn't see it. You would see a black man being um, stereotyped as, hey, he's not there for his kids, or he's a deadbeat dad, or blah, 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 blah. That's not the stereotype now. Every black man now is there for his child. That is the stereotype that black men are crawling and climbing up this big old hill that has been <laughs> laid at our footstep steps. Also, another one's black men cheat. Nah, not all black men cheat. Matter of fact, take a put, take a page of the Charlemagne the God's book. Black men don't cheat. Black boys might cheat, but black men they don't cheat. You gotta be a special individual to know yourself and say that you don't cheat. I can never cheat in a relationship. I can't because my brain is functioning wired that. You know what? I don't like what I'm doing and I don't want my partner to resent me. So I'd rather tell her, hey, listen, I'm not happy right now in the situation. I want to talk to you about why I'm not happy because I believe every person has an idea why they're not happy. It's bold if you're going to tell me, I don't have, I don't, I don't know why I'm not happy. No, you can, you have an idea. You know yourself. You know yourself thoroughly. I'll give you guys a pro tip, right? Not a pro tip, but an example right now. Every time that I have to do this podcast, I get a little bit of a headache because I'm anxious to get this out in, out of my brain, into this microphone, into the universe. I am anxious, so anxious to do that. It doesn't, my brain doesn't hurt me until middle of the day. Because it knows like, okay, the hours are slowly creeping up. The hours are not slowly, they're fastly creeping up and hitting me with, Gerald, yo, you know you got to do this podcast, right? You know you got to, you know you got to record it. You know you got to record. I know myself that well that I am able to say, you know what? I know why I'm getting headaches right now because I can't wait to do this. And by the way, I'm getting used to recording right now. I've gotten used to talking to the mic. Just want to sidebar that. But getting back to the point, 
a black man has to climb up that hill. That's not to say a black woman has to climb up her own hill. As a matter of fact, a black woman in a black household has to climb up the hill of always trying to be superwoman to the black kids. Not the black kids, but to her children. A black mother always has to be there for her kids because if not, society will look at her as, what are you doing? You're getting your hair done, you're getting your nails done, but you can't look out for your kids. Society will look at a black woman mother and stereotype her with so many things, being aggressive, being this and that, and that will try to portray that onto her being a bad mother for her kids. And I believe any mother of any race will tell you that that is their biggest fear to be called a bad mother by people. I'm not here to tell you that you're a bad mother. If you're a bad if you have bad human characteristics of being a horrible person and you might happen to bring that upon the position of motherhood, I'm trying to find a better way and you guys see how I'm dancing here without trying to actually say it. If you have bad characteristics and you bring that upon to be a mother, a mother people might say that about you. You can be a terrible person, but love your child so much and do everything in the world for your child. That doesn't mean you're a bad mother at all. No. You can. There have been terrible people out in this lifetime, but whenever they have to interact with their children, they are the most loving person. They are the most dedicated person, all this and that. And people might say, you know what? That was a bad person, but that person loved their kid. That's the thing. Black moms hold the house down. Black moms and moms in general hold the house down. But I'm speaking for black moms because I grew up with a black mother. I grew up with a mother that was superwoman. And that still plays superwoman superwoman now. She, under my phone, you will not find her listed as mom. You'll find her listed as my agent because... I know she's my mother, but she's my agent as well. Because anytime I have a problem, I go to her. Anytime I think about um, school problems, I go to her. Anytime I think about uh, podcast-related problems as an issue, tie, uh, topics to talk about, I go to her. She gives me feedback on what she didn't like about certain podcast uh, topics I did talk about, or if I talk too long, or uh, this or that. I go, I, she gives me feedback. She gives me feedback on if the food, like I gave you guys a name, if my food tastes horrible, she gives me feedback. If I want to know the truth, I go to her. She plays more than one role uh, than being my mother. She's my agent. She has helped me and my brother uh, get uh, certain privileges in this world that people don't know about. I'm just saying, ladies and gentlemen, my mom is... The best. I wish other people could have a mother like mine. My mom goes out of her way to ingrish. Uh, I'm trying to say the word ingratiate. I'm probably using that word right. But she goes out of her way to ingratiate herself with anybody in this world. If you need help. In this world, and my mom sees you, she'll go out of her way to help you to the point that she puts her own 
health on the line with helping people so much. My mother puts herself last. And from my experience, every black mother puts herself last. They put everybody in front of them. I've told my mom years after years, Ayo, listen, talk to me. Don't just have me keep calling you and all this jazz. Talk to me and so we can figure out uh, ways that you could put yourself first. So you won't always have to deal with everybody's stuff. There's been times now that I deal with certain things myself because I don't want my mother to have to deal with certain things. That I um, not say hide because I don't hide nothing from her. I just happen to deal with things. I don't like to burden my mom with a lot of things because she has her own things to worry about. But that's not to say that she's not going to drop everything and rush to my rescue because she will. She'll look at me in the face and she'll ask me, Joe, what's wrong with you? I tell her nothing. She says, I can see it. What's wrong with you? I'll tell her nothing again. And she's like, oh, she'll hit me with this. And I, and it gets me every time because I get a little bit aggravated. She says, okay, whenever I've, whenever something's wrong with me, I'm not going to tell you. I, my next reply is, oh, come on, don't do that. Don't do that. That's not fair. And she said, yep, every time I, something's wrong with me, I'm not going to tell you. And then I have to, I curl up and I curl it up in my head. And I just, and I like, all right, fine. Here's what's going on. And I tell her exactly what's happening. She wants to know so bad what's going on because she's programmed to always fix a problem. That's her program. She has no other uh, button but to keep go, 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 go. That's my mom. And I believe that's black mothers out here in general because whenever the human population, not the human population, but whenever you talk to a black mother, it's almost the exact same story. They put their children, they put their husband, they put their work, they put everybody in f- ahead of them and they put themselves on the back burner. On this public platform that I have, that's mine. I want to say thank you to mom. Thank you for being my rock. Thank you for being this family's rock. Thank you for stabilizing uh, issues that could have got way out of hand. She knows exactly what issues I'm talking about. Thank you for taking care of issues that, uh, if left unchecked, would have gotten way out of hand and other people could have gotten themselves seriously injured. So I want to say thank you to my mother. And that's just not to blow off my father on the side either. My father, (laughs) my father is a man that he, my mom will tell us and tell us now, you guys got a great father. Your father is there for you. Your father has, is, is the worker, not going to say the worker, because my mom works too. My father, uh, he worked a job. He He's giving us his 
past life has given us, and what I mean by past life, he was an army. Nothing bad, nothing drug related. So let me clarify it up right now. His past life of being an army has given us a position to put us in a different, uh, I'm trying to use the right words here. It has put us in a position that we don't have to take on certain things that other people have to take on because their people weren't in the military and my father was. My father's caring. My father, he might be naive at time to time, but he does care. He is smart in certain areas, smart and not smart in others. That's not a downput. We all are that way. And in certain areas, we're smart. In certain areas, we're not. He is also strong. And ladies and gentlemen, he has not fair energy. And let me break down what not fair energy is. Not fair energy is the strength to open up something that everybody else couldn't open. Let me give you guys a story. Yet again, story time. We are trying to open up some type of jar. My mom squeezes it, try to open it, nope. Pass it off to my other brother, he tries to open it, nope. Try to pass it over to me, couldn't open it, nope. My younger brother tries to open it, nope. So, my mom says, okay, here's a here's a whole trick. Bang it on like some type of counter, like the edges wise. We do that, still nope. So then my father says, all right, hand it over here. He gets it within two seconds. Pops it off. We all look at each other. It's not fair. Another story time. My father and myself will get into some heated uh, situations, heated arguments, heated uh, conversations. And I know when to poke the bear, when not to poke the bear. He, I can poke the bear to the point that if he wants to start something, I can't really like fight somebody because even as a man, I know my boundaries of, okay, I know who I can like fight with and who I can't. My father is still another guy that I can't fight with to this day now because he has not fair uh, strength ability. He's a strong guy. Try to arm wrestle him. Nope. Can't do it. He'll put my arm down and that's not, that's, that's a not fair energy. It's not fair energy is strength that you don't see, but you feel it. It's strength that, that come from within. And I'm talking about physical strength, not just mental. I'm talking about physical here. Strength that you can't see, but you got to feel that strength. He'll bear hug you and just squeeze you tight. You're like, yo, let go, bro. It's too hard. It's too hard, bro. And I don't think he knows his own strength from time to time. I really don't. And if he does, hey, yo, pops, this is me telling you right now on a public platform, chill out with the strength. I'm just like, you know, chill out. But that's the thing. My father has unfair strength and he cares, he could easily destroy us at any time he feels like it, but he doesn't because he cares for us and he loves us. And also, whenever it's time to get down in, down in the dirt, if we have to go against somebody, I know 
that my father's down the ride. And I know my mother's down the ride. My parents are down the ride with her, their children if something happens to come awry. Something has to get done. That is what I mean by this family dynamic. By the way, another quick story about my father of not fair, uh, strengthier. My father has a bum leg. He walks with a limp. And this is this when I was in ooh, fourth grade here. Yep, fourth grade. I went on a uh, field trip. My father was with me. We went to a camp. And uh, a guy that I was cool, a guy that I'm cool with, he was uh, messing around with my father. And my, he told him, I bet you can't catch me. Now, my father has a limp, but he didn't have a limp to bad the way that he's bad now. But he had a still even had like a little limp then. He gives the kid, he tells him, all right, I'll give you 10 seconds to run down. All right. He run, he gives the kid 10 seconds, all right. My father runs after him, and next thing you know, I'm coming out of the like little thing, uh, dorm that we're supposed to be sleeping in because they got bunk beds in there. And everybody, and I peek my head out, and you just hear everybody just cheering and laughing and everything else. And what do you see? What do I see when I poke my head out? My father carrying the dude on his shoulder, like a guy carrying somebody to make sure they don't get into a fight. Matter of fact, you know the old uh, there's a the old cliche is a man hoisting up a woman on her shoulder on his shoulders and the woman just like hitting him on his back like let me go let me go. That was what the dude was doing to my father. My father had him on his shoulders. He was hitting. He was like kicking his legs and everybody was like laughing and just having a good joyful type time. I'm just telling that was just a little sidebar to let you know. Yet again, my father has that not fair situation. But my parents are always there for us. My parents are there for us, even, uh, not even though. They will give us criticism when we need it. They will love us when we need it, always. There's never ever been a detraction from that. But that's the thing now. A lot of black families are doing that now. A lot of black families are coming together. A lot of black families are breaking that curse of separation whenever their kid gets out of the uh the household the parents usually be worried about their child because well the child's a black now adult citizen in america and they have to worry about them now it's different black families are much more tighter now with um each other at least from what i've seen and at least from what i've been seeing on television, what I've seen on social media, what I've seen even in person, that just giving me my own perception that black families are coming in together closer. And I love to see it. You love to see it. It brings hope that sooner rather than later, we are able to come together and change America's perception on the black family it's no longer the perception that oh uh your father's not there for you oh your father is a drug dealer oh your father's in prison or um your father uh has another family out there or such and such and even on the black mother side your mom's a bad mother 
your mom doesn't care for you like that. Uh, your mom gave you up. Uh, such and such. I mean, there's so many bad things that the black family has been had to deal with. That I'm glad now in this era, we're all turning the tide on that. That the black family is the black family. We are the it thing. We're starting to change the narrative. We're changing the narrative into what we want it to spread out to the world and for what the we want the world to see. And yet again, black families are awesome. We have we have a lot of fun. If anything, you'll hear about music being blasted up way loud in a black family household. As a matter of fact, story time. When I was a child, because now the times have turned, this was early 2000s, we would get up in the morning and you, this is a black trademark thing in every household. You will get up on a Saturday morning and it is cleaning day. And you will hear some type of gospel music playing in your house that happened in this household too. For every black family household, on a Saturday, this was for our family, but you know when it's cleaning day when you hear gospel music in your house playing. You would, I would be like, oh my God. It's, oh. We would get up at a good 6.30 in the morning, start cleaning the house to get it uh, from being dirty from the week that we had. And around about probably about a good 11, 1130, we'll be done because we didn't clean all day Saturday. Now nah, we cleaned from 630 to 1130. That's about a good five hours worth of cleaning. If that if the house was really that dirty, but I'm just giving you guys like the legit timestamps from time to time. And that gospel music will be playing. Boy, oh boy, you know when it's time to clean when you hear that gospel music. There's been sketches out there that people have done that can verify exactly what I'm telling you right now. The black family household, we have a lot of we have a lot of uh, traits with us. We love one another. We love hard, and boy, when we roast one another, we roast each other hard. But it's all out of love. It's never out of malice. But whenever we hit below the belt, boy, do we hit below the belt. I'm not going to lie to you. When black families hit below the belt to one another, when black family members have to, talk, have, to have that talk with one another, boy, do we hit below the belt hard. Mm. You get that nice, ooh. You know that, that that stung that person. That face, that facial, that mean face. Mm. After you hear that nice little quick line, and quick jab. As a matter of fact, a whole lot of that happens now in the black family. We hit the one-line zingers. The children will hit the one-line zinger to the parent. Or the parent will hit the one-line quick zinger to the kid. And I mean, you hit a nice, woo. It's, it's a thing. It's just a thing that we do. But we still love each other at the end of the day. It's not, I mean, yes, we kick each other hard from time to time, but we love each other. We don't want 
to see the family get torn. We, as a black community, we don't need to have our family torn from each other as it has happened multiple times throughout our lives. It's happened, and I'm glad to see that black families are coming together. Now, haha, the big mega one that encumbers all three. Well, all both the last my last two sex uh, subjects was. Now we're down to the black church. Boy, oh boy, the black church. Boy, do I got a lot to say about the black church. Oh boy. But before I get to it, let me just uh, play you something from Gary Owen right now. And you can uh, this is from his YouTube page. But I'm about to play this for you, and this will give you a little insight on the black church. My kids got baptized at a black church. Wasn't prepared for that. I mean, I just, I, I prefer white church myself. Black church just takes too long for me. You got to have your day free. You can't make no plans going to a black church. You found going to a football game, you ain't gonna make it. Hey, you might not make Monday Night Football while you're bullshitting. <laughs> black church is ridiculous, man. I remember the first time I went to a black church, I, I didn't know it was gonna take that long. You know? Like, I didn't eat breakfast that morning. I thought I was gonna eat in about an hour. You know? Oh my God, I almost died of malnutrition that day. Waiting for Sally Struthers to pop up, you know? That was, I was sitting in the church, man. I was like, why is this taking so long? You know, I, was sitting there. I figured out having the service, service why it was taking so long because, um, you know, when you, when you go to church with white people, man, we don't say nothing, you know? We shut up and we listen, you know? If somebody tries to talk while our preacher's talking, we tell them, shh, zip it, focus, okay? One more song, we're gone. I remember the first time I went to a black church, um, I, I didn't know, I, I didn't know that when black people agree what the service is about, they don't wait. They get up right there that they agree. I know it's okay to yell out. I'm sitting there. I don't know why I got in the whole church. I'm getting upset with all the black people in the pews around me, you know? I thought they were being disrespectful to the preacher. I know it's okay to yell out. I'm just sitting there. Preach on it! Are you serious? Just going to talk while he's talking? Yeah, that's really disrespectful. Once you zip it and focus, it's 1.30! I'm ready to go home! Talk about it! Are you with him? What? You're allowed to talk? Are you serious? I'm gonna say something. Okay, watch, I'm gonna say something. Who do <laughs> I heard it, Virginia. Come on, it's 4:30. Another song. Why is she singing Rihanna? That has nothing to do with church. It's six o'clock. You guys have a step team. Are you serious? The First Baptist Steppers. It's 8:30. A freaking poet. This is a talent show. That's the fourth time she caught the Holy Ghost. She's lying. You can't catch the Holy Ghost four times in one day. It's 1030. Stop passing this plate around. I don't have any more money. It's midnight. 
It's Monday! I'm late for work! In that sketch, in that rendition of what a scheduled black church celebration, a black church service will look like, you heard, one, it takes long, it's a long day. Two, black people, we don't hold nothing in on church service. And three, the money of collections. They're all true. They are all absolute true. Whenever, let me, let me say this right now. Whenever you go to a black church, you better know. No, 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 you better. You're going to know. If not, the first trip is going to be a learning experience if you never went to a black church. You're going to learn how different it is from a white church. Off bat. A white church, I've been to a white church because when I went to Francis Marion University, before I transferred over to Coastal Carolina University, I had to go to a, a white church for uh, one of my, I took a music class, long story short, took a music class, I had to go to like some uh, orchestras or something, and they, one of them was like, the thing, uh, one of them was, I could go to a church thing that happened. Went there. It was completely different. White churches, they're not, they sit in their, they sit in their spot. You don't see them get up for nothing. Not a thing. They don't say amen. They don't say preach. They don't do none of that. They sit down. They are legitimately silent, just like Gary Owens said. And they wait. And their service is done within about an hour and a half. That's their whole church service. Legitimately an hour and a half. Now on our end. Black church, boy, oh boy, is it an all-day affair. Let me give you three examples from three different areas of my life with the black church. First example is as a child. When you're a child, black church is the most aggravating, draining thing that you personally don't want to deal with <laughs> throughout your weekend your Saturday you're so happy well for us we knew Saturday uh waking up uh hear gospel in the morning you know doing our routine and then well after 11 30 okay we got the rest of the day to ourselves to do whatever we want that Sunday though that Sunday matter of fact that Saturday night we'll get so drained and so like dep not even depressed like Oh my God, tomorrow is Sunday. Oh my God, it's going to be all day. Oh my God. As a child, Sunday would start like this, and I kid you not. We get up about 7 o'clock. We get up to eat breakfast. We wash ourselves. Get our hair fixed up and get it right. Put on our dress shirts, dress pants, dress shoes, and wait until my mother gets done. Because she got to put on her makeup, do her hair, get herself together. And my father would help out from time to time, at least in my image. I wasn't in there. I'm just basing off what I think 
a husband would do with his wife. So I'm giving my father the doubt, benefit of the doubt that he helped my mother out and get her outfits and get her what she needed. And we would get in the car. Eight o'clock. The kids woke up at seven. My father had to wake us up. My mother was already doing her stuff. So let me backtrack that a little bit. Father woke us up. We get up, eat breakfast. Same natural stuff that I already said before. Eight o'clock, we get in the car. Nothing but gospel music in there. Nothing but gospel music playing, going up to church. And we'll just be sitting in the back. Oh my God. Why? Go to church. Nine o'clock, Sunday school. From nine o'clock to 11. Sunday school. At 10.50, they stop Sunday school to have you get to that little 10-minute break. But at 11 o'clock, bang, you better be in the seat with your family. is starting. And if we weren't there, boy, would we get a nasty look from our mama. Oh, my God. Just to give you a little sidebar note on this one from my family. My mother was heavy. My mother still is heavy into the church. My mother is churchy church. My mom, my mom was like, give me my Bible. Bible is now translated over into Apple iPad that has the Bible app into it. My mom still likes the old-fashioned Bible too, but when we can't give her a Bible, we give her her iPad. Every Sunday, she hits up her church service, boom, 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 still to this day. You better be there with your parents. Now, I'm going back to the story now. We would be there with our parents. If not, boy, we get a nasty, shoddy look from my mother. Boy, oh boy. And at this time, this was early 2000s. This was never, everybody was still in that, in like, this before the internet blew up and everybody started dispersing like from the church. Everybody was inside the church and everybody would be in the church. It would be crammed up in, from time to time. Crammed up. It would get hot in the church. We'll still be in there. And boy, will we just, boy, me and my brothers will be just also like, oh my God. It would get tiring. And if we slept in time in the church, my mom would pinch us or hit us on the shoulder and say, boy, you better wake up. It's the first time she'll, she'll be like, the first time she'll say, boy, you better wake up. Second time, she'll shot us a look. Oh, you better, you better not falsely. You better not falsely. And the third time we did it, boy, we were on some punishment. All right, your butt go to bed at some, some, at some hour. All right, probably like eight, seven, seven thirty on a Sunday. We were like, oh, come on. Just because you're in church, yes, because you're in church. Your butt should never, you should never went to sleep in church. Your butt better not. You why were you why were you sleeping in church? Why were you sleeping in church? Why am I? You guys or. This will always be our compare. This will always be my most compare. I'm looking at everybody else's kids in here. They ain't falling asleep in church. You guys are falling asleep in church. Why is that? I, me and my brothers will always look at one another like, oh my God. Do you not see what's in their hands? They Certain kids will have Game Boys in their hands. Certain kids will have their parents' telephones in their hands. Messing with it. And that's how their buzz didn't fall asleep. Certain kids were eating inside the church domain. Inside the main building of the church. Eating. And we would tell her, she's like, that doesn't matter. Your butt better not fall asleep again. Next week, don't you dare fall asleep. 
it will be almost the exact same thing. We'll fall asleep again. Because, man. Because it took too long. It will be like from 11 to 3.30, 4 o'clock. And then sometimes, even after that, we'll go home, eat dinner, and then go back to Sunday uh, activity at nighttime. Me and my brothers never did. But my mother and my father did from time to time. And 11 to 3.30, as a child, that's, that's, God, Lord, no. That took forever. And in that 11 o'clock, you'll have people, you have the choir singing three. They'll give the benediction. They'll give, they'll do the choir singing three times, three songs in that time before they sit down. And after they sit down, it's time for them to, uh, for somebody to say a little something. And then after that, it was time for the offering and tithes. And in this instance example, they have the dues. In certain churches, they got dues. I'm going to break down that meaning after this. And then after that, they have the choir singing two more songs. And then after that, they have the preacher preaching. And then they'll have their opening of the church doors. And does anybody want to get saved? Let me break down all that. The opening statement, which I probably said the benediction, but the benediction is at the end. The opening of the service, by good. Two minutes. The choir singing three songs. 30 minutes. So you did math. Three songs, 30 minutes. That's 10 minutes per song. And that's just not because choir members are singing it. It's because people in the crowd are feeling something coming over them. And after that, it'll be somebody talking. They'll probably talk about a good one, probably about a good five minutes. Oh, I forgot. That person talking is the announcements. There it is. The announcements are five minutes, six minutes. And then actually they'll say, okay, does anybody else have any type of announcement that we missed? And then so a person, a member of the congregation might say something. And then after that, you got your tithes, your offering, and something else. Oh, dues. And then after that, it'll be the choir singing again. All this within, all that is probably good. Mm, 30 to 40 minutes. So now, if you did your math right, that is, because that's 30 minutes for the choir, 30 to 40 minutes for that. So now you're up to an hour and 10 minutes, but an hour and 15 minutes, because you, no, hour and 12 minutes, because you did the beginning. And then you're back to, now it's time for your pastor to preach. And boy, certain pastors, pastors are long-winded. When I was a child, my pastor was a man that would talk by the love of God. No disrespect to the man. Love the man. He was a nice dude. Nice guy. Nice guy. He was a family friend. Nice guy. But me and my brothers were always a man. He talked too long. Jesus. And you have people in the congregation hyping it up at the same time. 
But boy, man, it was that a long service day. And then he'll talk for about a good hour, an hour and a half. That's taking up. Now, now you did your math down here. Keep it track. So now it's about two hours and 45 minutes here. Then sometimes they'll probably have now it's time for, okay, calling people up to get prayed on, put your hands on them. That process takes a long time because now you have people at the front of the church on their hands and knee on their knees praying up and the pastor put the oil on their heads and to bless them. And then you have now a line of people trying to get saved and get the oil on their head and now they'll catch the Holy Ghost and it's a whole thing. Basically what I'm getting at here, ladies and gentlemen, is that Sunday's church as a child, in my example, took forever. From 11 to 11.30, sometimes even 4. My mom and dad might say, they're going to listen to this, and they might even hit me with, Joe, it's never been 4. By God, it felt like it was 4, but it was close to 4, if anything. Probably about a good 3.45, 3.50. I looked at time. Boy, that was my thing. I looked at the time. Like, all right, come on. Are we, are we almost out? Jesus, no. Okay, we almost, no. That was as a child. Now I'm about to step into teenage years. We get up, same process, we get up, now we're going to our cars, and now we're talking with our mom and dad into our car, in the car now, because now we're of getting of the brain's mindset that we can talk to them and we can start, and I'm going to say challenge, but we're starting to connect and connect certain dots, and now we're inquiring things. We go to church. And it's the same process, but this time we're getting out mm, an hour less shorter. So now it'll probably be like 2 o'clock to 3. Still, 9 o'clock, Sunday school. Oh no, by this time we switched over to a different church, or this time a teenager. But anyway, 9 o'clock is uh, not Sunday school, it's... Uh, praise and worship. 10 o'clock is Sunday school. 11 o'clock is church. There we go. There it is. 11 o'clock is church. And from 11 to that time, 11 to 2 to 3 o'clock is service. Took forever. And by this time, we have like notepads we'll write in and just like to keep ourselves busy. We'll play tic-tac-toe and We'll have conversations with one another because we couldn't talk in the church because if we did, we'll get a mean, nasty shot look from my mother. And sometimes even my father will hit us and hit it and like look at us and shake his head. Like, mm -mm. But this time we had no pass to play tic-tac-toe. We'll talk to one another. And sometimes I'll even book wrestling like stuff like, okay, make the predictions of who will win just to keep myself busy so I wouldn't fall asleep at church. And now as an adult, okay, I go to church. I get there at 11. I don't do the Sunday school. I don't do the 9 o'clock. I get there at 11. And this now that I'm older, I have a cell phone. I'm able to look at my phone and be alert. And I'm also able to click into what the pastor is saying. And he's speaking. But when he's speaking, 
I'm able to make human connections to it, but I'm also able to make it understand. Also, when he's talking, I'm able also able to understand that, okay, I already knew that. This is something that I already knew. Why are you why are you harping on this so much? But there's certain people that didn't know that, so I gotta keep ahead with that. Let me go back to what I said before about dues and tides and offerings. Offerings, ladies and gentlemen, is whatever you want to offer up to the church and to God. You can offer up a dollar. That's the best that you got. Cool. You can offer that up to them. You can offer them up a hundred dollars. Hey, that's whatever you're free, willing is no debt. It's not nothing to harp on you. That's what an offering is. You just offer up any type of money. Tides, ladies and gentlemen, is 10% of your uh, check that you made of that week or your whenever you get paid. 10% goes to the church. That's what tithing is. 10% of your check to the church. Now, dues. <laughs> dues in certain churches are what church members have to pay up in a church. It's just like when you join a sorority. You have sorority or fraternity. I say sorority because I've talked to, in past classes there, I've talked to a, a sorority woman, a chick, and she has sorority uh, dues that she had to pay. And that's basically the same thing with church. You pay up for a fee for even being a member of the church, which is ludicrous to me. Because in this specific church that I was in, you pay the due, your dues go up to the big head honcho in another state, because your church is a subdivision of the big church, and whenever your uh, place needed to be fixed, you had to ask for certain, you had to ask for some money from the big uh big man of the church in a different state, which I found it not even as a boy. I found that I found that weird. I was always a uh, questionable kid. I was always questioned. You can ask, you can talk to my mom. My mom called me curious as George. I questioned everything as a child. I would touch everything. I questioned uh, things and it still happened to this day. I questioned things. Every day when I don't understand it, I'm a man of logic. If it doesn't make sense, I best believe you're going to see me ask you a question. And you better give me an answer that I can make that goes within reason for that. As a child, I knew that was not right because there will be our church was not the big old church that you see now and from churches from time to time. Um, our church was a nice little small church, bathroom, not the cleanest from time to time. Uh, it needed to get repairs from time to time. But you will see people put their money into this church. And I mean, just put money into it. And from month after month, year after year, nothing would get changed. It would still be the same old bathroom, that same old kitchen, that same old uh, main uh, domain that people go in there to pray and people sit there and listen to the church and nothing on the outside will get changed. Not the parking lot, no nothing. And 
just growing up before we did change churches, just wondering, okay, why, where's that money going to? Where? So I, about, probably about the age of 11, I said, okay. I asked my mother, okay, where's the money going to? Okay, the money's going to this person over uh, in a different, in the big head person over the uh, church. I said, okay, um, why is that? Well, that's the way it goes. Okay, question. Why is it that whenever... No, no, no. I'm trying to make this right here. I said, okay, why is why does our bathroom or something that need to be fixed still like that now? Oh, because they got to ask that person. Oh, they probably got to ask the person at the top. And I said, that doesn't sound right because all that money that people give to the church, you would think that they should have enough money to uh, fix this. No, they give it all to the to the um, top person in a the, the top person in a different state. I said, so, okay, so this is like a pimp game then. Mom looked at me and said, don't you dare say that. Don't No, don't you dare. Don't I ever come out your mouth again. I said, Mom, but it is. It's like a pimp thing. You give, you're doing all the work. The pimp's women is doing all the work. They give all the money to the pimp. The pimp did absolutely nothing. And then whenever uh, one of them have to get something fixed, they don't have money. They have to go directly to the pimp and ask him, Ayo, give me this. I need this to get this fixed. And they have to either get accepted or denied. Certain churches, ladies and gentlemen, certain black churches are a hustle. Matter of fact, screw that. Certain churches are a hustle. You got to know when certain churches are a big hustle because that's not that's not the way. That is not it at all. During research, during this, I looked at Benny Hinn, and it's just the famous meme. If you don't know the meme, it's Benny Hinn uh, hitting his, grabbing his jacket and just like whipping, throwing like, hitting his jacket into the air and having people fall out, and that is ridiculous. Just look up Benny Hinn on YouTube. That should be like the first video that pops up on Benny Hinn. Or just scroll down a little bit more. You'll see exactly what I'm talking about. It's insane how people fall for that. I'm not criticizing. Matter of fact, screw that. That's insane. I'm criticizing that method. I don't believe that at all. You swing your jacket and people fall over. No, come on, dog. You don't fall over because of a jacket swinging your way and the air hits you like, oh my God falling over and like they got like they felt the anointing of God hitting their body no no they didn't that's a farce that's that's a lie that was made up you didn't feel nothing certain churches are grabbing their members money and just holding it and it's disgusting so members of every so members of churches please look out for that, what I can do and what I can say is these two churches that I was, well, one I'm still a part, well, no, I'm not going to say a part of, both of these churches that I have went to, I can say that they do right by their members and they do right with the money that the members give them. The two churches are the Door of Hope 
um, ministry, which is led by Pastor Michael Blue and his wife, Melinda Blue. And they are located in Marion, South Carolina. And the other church is Faith Chapel uh, Christian Church and is led by Michael Moore, his wife, Miss Pete, and his son, Michael K. Moore. And they're in Birmingham, Alabama. Now with Door of Hope Church, Michael Blue, he has a nice facility. He's a nice guy. He's a preacher that is a little long-winded. I know I might get some flack from my mom saying that because you don't like me saying that publicly or saying it at all anyway. But come on now. I believe anybody wouldn't. I believe that it, if you know it, you know it. Come on now. We're going to stop that. We're going to stop. But he's along with it. And it's not nothing wrong with it as long as people catch the message that he's giving out. But he could turn it, but he could like trim down a little, but he could trim down his like time a little bit. I'm just going to be, I'm just, I'm just speaking the truth, but he's does well by his members. He makes sure that he goes and visits his members in hospitals. He sends prayers out. He tries to make sure people keep in contact with them and call it up. All this good stuff and all this good jazz over at Dorf Hope. And whenever you give money to that church, you know exactly where that money's going to, to keep up the building, to keep up. They use the money for gas to visit other churches. They, uh, they use the money uh, to um, for their events that they do for the children and do for uh, either feeding other people. They do a lot of things. So I'm not going to ever criticize Door of Hope. I'm never going to criticize their uh, church. I'm never going to criticize because I've been there. I've seen the church. I know uh, what they do. My only criticism, and I'm not even really even criticizing him, is that Michael Blue could just trim down just a little bit of his time on it. Just a little bit of his time. But if he doesn't want to do it, hey, that's fine. As long as people get the message that what he's preaching out there, that's cool. And when Michael Moore from Faith Chapel in Birmingham, his whole facility, he has a big mega church. His church is inside a dome. He has two domes. He has the big, he has the major dome that is for adults. And what I mean by for adults is that uh, he has two domes. One do dome is for the adults, the other dome is for the children. He has a children uh, church set up inside the second dome, but also inside the second dome is a workout facility, uh, eating facility, and probably other things. But the major dome is whenever people go and do their prayer they sit down and hear him preach and michael moore is a black version of joel osteen when me and my mother went to alabama i was so tired of going and seeing churches my mother went to uh his church because she was referred to him and he she went there and he did his prayers and did everything. He did what he was supposed to do. And um, she comes back. She tells me, you need to go to this church. You come with me um, to this church. I said, Mom, no, I'm not. I'm tired. I'm not, I'm not going to sit through another church. I'm just getting used to going to this other, going to this church that I was going to at the time. And my mom hits me with, Joe, trust me, you want to go to this church. 
Mom said, nah, Mom, I'm good. Mom said, Gerald, he's a black Joel Osteen. I said, excuse me? Mom said, he's a black Joel Osteen. Trust me. You just go to, you're going to go to the church. I said, all right, fine, fine. I'll go with you. Wednesday service hits in the afternoon, 12 o'clock. We go to the service. He preaches up there for about an hour. And his tagline at the end is, uh, all right, I love y'all. He says, I love y'all, and then he's out. That's his tagline. Everybody knows, all right, he's done. You get up, you leave. And as everybody gets up, I'm just sitting there like, that was it? Mom's like, yeah, I told you. You'll like it. He was so, it was easy. It was done. And another thing, whenever they do events, they do big events for the, the community. They do events for uh, the children. They do events for they homeless, they do job fair events. You know where if you where you're donating that whenever you give that money to that church, you know exactly where the money's going to. And that's my whole thing. I'm worried about the members they give money to because giving money to a church is very, very shaky, baby. You have you are always wondering where that money is going to. Just like when you give money off into uh uh, charity. Some of that money might not hit the charity. Some money might go straight to somebody else's bank account. You see somebody driving up nice with it. Like you see some pastors driving nice while the um, members are driving in raggedy daggedy cars, giving some of their money off to a church. I'm just saying those two churches I can vouch for, you know, where that, you know, exactly where your dollars are going to It's for the upkeep of the church It's for the events inside the church It's for, uh, taking care of other church members whenever the time comes for it. I'm just vouching for it because I've seen it in both churches. They care for their members. Michael Moore Church, it has the singing, it has everything like a black church does, but he doesn't talk long like a black preacher would talk. He has a format because I helped out in the church um, some years ago as a volunteer and he has a legit scheduled out format. This is the time the church is going to sing. This is the time we're going to do the offering. This is the time for the announcements. This is the time I'm going to talk. And this is when I want the schedule, when I want it to end. His church might start what? Mm, 10 o'clock in Alabama time, 11 o'clock over in South Carolina time. And he'll get out at... 12 o'clock in his in Alabama and one o'clock over in South Carolina town. So that's about a good two hours. But those two hours are not dragging in dull hours. It's real, real type things. It's real fast paced. It gets is in and out. You're in and out. Boom, boom. You do the job. He does the job swiftly. He does the job nicely. And you're able to understand his message that he delivers to you. And he tries to be relatable. He tries to be fun. He's a fun, uh, loving pastor. Those are the type of people that I like personally. I like Joel Osteen. I like Michael Moore. He, I like the pastors that are not so, yeah. I'm telling you to get up out your chair and praise the Lord. I'm I'm not 
too. <laughs> I've had enough of that as a young child. I had enough of the whole yelly, yelly, yeah type of business. I've, I've had enough of that. Um, I'm used to, all right, you're going to talk to me. We're going to talk. It's like having a conversation. You're able to digest what he's telling you. And as a matter of fact, I'm going to play a clip that Steve Harvey has because this comes from his little bit. It's on his YouTube page. And this is also talking about a difference between a black church and a white church because I'm whenever that clip is done, I'm going to expound on that a little bit more. I don't know if you've ever heard white people pray or not. If you ain't, you need to go at least one time. It's an amazing thing. These people happen to be Catholics. I don't even know who they... They be praying. They, they talk to God like he stay next door. You know, like he they buddy. Like he got a membership at the Y. They don't shut their eyes. Ain't no emotion in it. They just be talking to God. Oh, Father God. You know, Father, we just want to thank you for warm days and sunny rays. Oh, Father God. You know, Father, you know, if you could just watch over young Tim going back and forward to school each and every day. Oh, Father God. And oh, Father, you know, if you could just stop on by, we'll be here till noon. Oh, Father God. I'm standing there the whole time looking around going, who the hell y'all talking to? Because that ain't how black people pray. No, no. Black people go to God totally different. Black people go to God with reverence and respect. See, black people know God got a list of titles, and we got to go down all them titles before we start asking for something. Uh, black people give it up when they pray. Gracious God, our Father, Lord of Lords, King of all kings, ruler of the universe, Alpha and Omega, beginning and the end, bright and the morning star, hair like lamb's wool, feet like bronze clay, wings that mount up and fly. Greatest giver of the givenness that they never gave anything to the give us that they asked to be given unto. We ask all these things. In his name, let the church say amen. Amen. Can you be standing there going, but I ain't asked for nothing. Did you hear that? Did you hear what Steve Harvey just gave you a demonstration of how white people pray and black people pray? That is one of the things that go along with the whole dynamic of the black church. We will pray for the longest periods of time. You, matter of fact, it has been times, ladies and gentlemen, that I have sat through a prayer and I went to sleep mid-prayer. I have went to sleep and don't act. And if you're 
person that's black, that's went to a black church, don't act like you haven't went to sleep neither in a prayer. Don't you dare. Don't you dare cast judgment upon me. Because you have. Every black person has done it. Every single one of us has done it. In a black church that's prayed too long, we've all done it. But I've all, like I said, I went to a white church with the prayer. It was quick, in and out. I mean, just straight up, just prayer lasts about a good 20 seconds. Done. God is not meant to be a holdup for you. To hold up somebody's time. The church is for you to get God's message, get God's wisdom that he has bestowed upon somebody and get out. That is what church is. Church is not meant to hold you hostage. And that's what it is sometimes in a black church. Sometimes as a child, you feel like you're being held hostage against your will because your parents want you inside that church. And wants to stay inside the church and listen to what the pastor has to say as he's going, I'm telling. All that. All that. Boy, am I know I'm going to get heat for this. When my mom hears this, oh my God, am I going to get heat? But hey, that's just what it is. Love you, mom. You know I'm just saying, hey, you know I'm telling the truth. Every black person that knows and hears this, you know I'm telling the truth. It's true. Come on now. A black church will drain you physically and emotionally because you'll be exhausted being there all that time. And then emotionally, you'll be so drained, like, okay, I don't know. I'm I'm happy that I've been to church, but boy, oh boy, by God, it take forever. But boy, was I happy. It'll leave you somewhat confused. And the black church is what, is the big thing inside a black family household. That is like the creme de la creme. That's the thing. You can't mess around with Jesus in a black church. And not in a black church, but in a black family. Because a black family will fight you down about Jesus uh, all day. Jesus is here. Jesus is within this family. Don't you talk bad about God. Don't you talk bad about his people. Don't you talk bad about his chosen ones. Or the people that were chosen by them. My mom will hit me from time to time because I'll have some criticism about church. She'll be like, Gerald, don't you say that because I want you to live long because you don't know who's been chosen to speak. I said, Mom, I know, but there's certain people you know that haven't been. Come on now. And she'll hit me with this. I'm, I'm just paraphrasing it, so don't hold me to it. Many are chosen. No, no, no. Many are called, few are chosen. There it is. Or it's one way or the other. Either way. I'm like, Mom, he didn't get called, nor chosen. You know that off rip when you hear certain people and the way they go about it. But the black church is a big thing inside the black family. And whenever you're done, certain churches give you food. And boy, sometimes church food portions are so small. Boy. Oh boy. That's just like something to hold you down until you get home. And you better have had something cooked at home. Because if not, boy, you're just going to be searching for something. My God. My mom now makes a joke now because I f give her small portions on a plate. Whenever I have to give her small portions on the plate for, for certain uh, dishes, she tells me, oh, so you gave me a church portion, huh? 
And then she started joking around with my other uh, brothers and my father. Said, oh, look at that, Joe. Give me a small portion. And they all were like, yeah, Joe, come on now. You can get mama. I'm like, nah, I can't do that. But we all do that out of a fun because we all know what the church portion of food looks like. If you're black and you went to a black church in the early 2000s, you know what exactly what the church portion plate looks like. I'm not sure if they still do it now, but you know what exactly what it looks like. Matter of fact, no, certain churches still do it now because I've seen it. But you know exactly what a church portion plate looks like after you get done being in church. You go to the back, you get some food from them, and that's just something just to hold you down till you get home and you actually get to eat, eat something. But the black church is a big circumference, is a big thing for the black congregation. It's a huge thing. I make jokes about it here and there, but I do think that the black church is a big, powerful, fundamental thing for us. That's our safe haven. If anything goes wrong, we always turn to God and look for God. That is the one saving grace that's kept our people together in line in the mindset that God is will take care of us. God is will take care of us. A God will take care of our enemies that has crossed us. He'll do it. That is our big safe haven. If you take nothing away from what I'm telling you throughout this whole episode is that God is the black people's safe haven. And if you try to mess with God, you're going to be thoroughly, thoroughly beat up by black people because we love God so much. It's been inbred into our brain system that God is the top priority. God is our God is the King of Kings, Lord of Lords, as what he should is, as what he should be, in my perspective. But don't talk to a black person about uh God. Don't do that. Because you're gonna get yourself hurt if you don't believe in him. Certain black people can take it and be like, alright, cool, you just don't believe in God, that's cool, whatever. Certain black people will fight you down like you need to get on your hands and see you you know the reason why you got that? Because you don't believe in God. You don't you don't you don't believe in him. It gets the whole thing. Like I said, just don't do it. If you don't believe in God, that's fine for you. That's cool. But just leave black people be with their belief with God. That's all I'm asking you. And with that said, I think I covered all three topics within this hour and 46 minutes. Um, And now let me turn on to the wrestling portion of this. I was, yet again, I think I was, how many matches did I get right of this? Hold on one second. Uh, Elimination Chamber happened this Last episode on um, that night, um, I was four and one. The only match I got wrong was Cesaro winning the Elimination Chamber. I picked Cesaro, but it would end up being Daniel Bryan winning the Elimination Chamber. But I picked Riddle to win his Triple Threat match. He won that to win the United States Championship. I picked Drew McIntyre to win an Elimination Chamber match. He won that. I picked Shayna Baszler and uh, Nia Jax to win and retain their Women's Tag titles. And... I picked Roman Reigns to basically beat whoever won this uh, SmackDown Elimination Chamber match. Um, the big shocker of that whole thing was uh, Miz cashing in his Money in the Bank contract on Drew McIntyre after uh, his match in the Elimination Chamber. Before Drew, uh, the Miz cashed in, Bobby Lashley came in and decimated Drew McIntyre, beat him down up. Beat him down more, and Miz cashed in with his Money in the Bank uh, contract. 
He beats Drew McIntyre. He wins the WWE Championship. Highlights of the wrestling week for this wrestling week. Let me start off with New Japan Strong. John Moxley beat Kenta to retain his United States Championship, leading hopefully down to um, more New Japan guys going on to AEW television and hopefully even challenging John Moxley on AEW television for the IWGP United States Championship. Let's hope uh, for that to go down because he has to uh, go against Kenny Omega next Sunday for the uh, for the AEW um, World Championship. And I'm going to give my predictions for that uh, next Sunday. Um, big highlights of this week. Yeah, I just talked about uh, New Japan Strong. Um, for WWE, big highlights. Yeah, Miz cashed in. He was now WWE Champion. Uh, Bianca Belair has made her choice. She will go against Sasha Banks at WrestleMania. So it will be Sasha versus Bianca Belair for the SmackDown Women's title. Unless Sasha happens to lose her uh, Women's Championship next in the next couple weeks. In the next pay-per-view at Fastlane. If they happen to have her in a match for that. For her SmackDown Women's title at Fastlane. Um, Edge picked his opponent. He would go against uh, Roman Reigns. For his uh, Universal title. So it will be Roman versus Edge. At Wrestlemania for the Universal title. That's also unless. Roman Reigns has to defend his. Fat, uh, championship at Fastlane. Against Daniel Bryan. Daniel Bryan has to go against. Uh, Jimmy Uso next. Uh, Smackdown episode. In a steel cage match. Um. Next week, well, tomorrow, on Monday Night Raw, The Miz will have to defend his WWE Championship against Bobby Lashley as a repayment for his deal that The Miz made with MVP at uh, the Elimination Chamber pay-per-view. Bobby Lashley's cashing in on that uh, payment. So it'll be Bobby versus Miz for the WWE Championship at... Um, Monday Night Raw, and I see Drew McIntyre coming in and screwing that up, and The Miz ending up retaining the WWE Championship, because Drew McIntyre is supposed to be at Raw anyway, and talking about it, how he got screwed out of his WWE Championship. Um, NXT was just a big highlight, because everybody was wondering, with Adam Cole turning his back on Kyle O'Reilly, what would Adam Cole say? Adam Cole came out. He gave the sympathetic, I'm sorry for what I've done. I was upset at the time, but I've cooled my head down now. Well, I, I wish I could speak to you in person. I wish you were in front of me so we could have this conversation, but you're not, and that's because of me. I'm sorry, Kyle. I'm sorry. Roger Strong comes out. He calls Adam Cole a piece of crap. He says, how could you do this to Kyle and all this and all that. Finn comes out. He beelines it directly to Adam Cole. Starts throwing hands with Adam Cole. He takes him down and starts beating down Adam Cole. Roger Strong is on the outside looking at 
Finn doing all this. Then he gets in the ring, pulls Finn off, and Finn ends up pushing Roderick um, outside the ring. And Finn goes after Roderick now. And now Finn and Roderick are fighting, and Adam Cole gets up and he goes outside and he throws Finn against to the barricades and then hits Finn with a super kick. Roderick gets back in the ring. He's so disoriented now. And Adam is like trying to tap Roderick on the, Roderick on the um, shoulder and say, Roderick, is me, Adam. I'm so sorry, dude. I'm sorry, Roderick. Are you okay? Roderick ends up clotheslining Adam Cole. Adam Cole falls to the ground and just looks at Roderick and just says, I'm sorry, man. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And Roderick just pleaded with him, look what you've done to us. Look at us. Look what you've done. And Adam just gets on his knees and like start putting his hair over his face and start you see his shoulder bobbing up and down like he's crying, like he can't believe this. Roderick bends down and gets on his knees like, hey man, it's alright, it's alright, we can fix this. We can fix this. And he throws his arm out, the puts his hand out there. Adam Cole takes his hands and shake it and like we're brothers. We're brothers. We're okay. They embrace each other for a hug and Adam Cole hits Roger Strong right in the family jewels. And, fan, and uh, Roderick falls to his knees. Adam Cole grabs the dog tag from Roderick Strong and it has the Undisputed Arrows logo on it. He rips it off of Roddy and he tells him, you're stupid. You're stupid. And he shoves Roddy to the ground and he just stands above Roddy and he and ends with NXT television with him saying, stupid, stupid. And also another highlight on NXT was uh, Santos Escobar going against Karrion Cross, and it was a no disqualification match. So that match was uh, that match was good. The match was the high big. Well, besides Adam Cole, that match was the big highlight of NXT. You had everything in it. You had Santos Escobar and his two cronies, uh, Raul Mendoza and Joaquin Wilde, the formerly known uh, Zima Ion in uh, Impact Wrestling. Uh, taking on Karrion Cross, formerly known as Killer Cross, in Impact Wrestling as well. Um, Santos try to get all try to get up and up because he has his two guys with him. While Karrion just has himself. Karrion Cross took care of that. He beat up on the two guys, and it just left to him and Santos. Santos was able to hold his own with Karrion Cross, but in the end, Karrion Cross ends up beating Santos Escobar. Now, in AEW, the biggest news from in the wrestling world came from AEW because the formal, formerly known as Big Show, Paul White, has signed with AEW. Now, his official role in AEW will be a commentator, a wrestler, and an ambassador for AEW. And the reason why Big Show, formerly known, well, formerly known as Big Show, Paul White, has signed with AEW is because... He couldn't kind of WWE couldn't come to terms with uh the money for his new contract. So AEW was able to give him the money that he wanted, signed it, there you go. You have your contract. AEW this week, you had MJF and Chris Jericho beating up the Young Bucks dads, cementing more the hatred that uh MJF and Chris Jericho is trying to provoke the Young Bucks. Um, leading into their match next uh, week at their pay-per-view revolution. Um, Lance Archer winning his Phoenix in a great singles match. That's probably the match to watch this week if you haven't seen it. 
and it was for a chance to be in the face of the Revolution ladder match at Revolution that has Pentagon, Cody, Scorpio Sky, and now Lance Archer in it. Um, that was the highlights, but that was the big highlight throughout wrestling this week. Paul White coming into AEW, and now he works for Tony Khan and no longer WWE. And that's another big name that's now with AEW. Um, I think that's it for me. I think that's all I have to cover. Um, yeah, that's it. Um, school was easy this week. I was able to get my job, get my classes done, get my school assignments done. Thank you to my professors out there for giving uh, me, giving everybody, but I'm going to say me because I can't speak for everybody, an easy work week this week. Thank you for that. Um, but yeah, I'm done. Don't be a dick. Don't be a prick. That'll be my, that's my uh, thing. That's my message for everybody. And I want to thank everybody for listening to me talk about black uh, history. Just just listening to my black history episodes uh, during this February. I want to thank everybody that has listened to them. Um, and yeah, that's about it. I don't know what I'm going to be talking about next week. You just have to tune in and find out what I'm going to talk about next week. Whenever, well, next week's episode drop. I'm fumbling right now over my words, but nevertheless, I'm just saying thank you. Thank you to everybody that has listened to me so far. Thank you for everybody that's just listened to start listening to me this from this episode. I, I um, recommend you going backwards and looking at my past episodes to um, find out more information about me and more information about my uh, how I feel about certain topics when I do mention the topics and uh, yeah that's it now where you can reach me at on social media hold on one minute while I grab that for you to reach me on twitter I am at my two podcast but if you want to search it up in the search bar, it's My Two Cents Podcast. All one word. I'll say it slowly for you. My, the actual number two. Don't spell it out. Put the number two. Since Podcast. All one word. It'll, the logo will be uh, the black emoji guy with the shoulder shrug. With you, with, you'll see it. That's my Twitter. My Instagram is My Two Cents Podcast G2. I'll say it again. It's my, the number two since podcast G2. And for my, any like business inquiries that if you want to have me uh, sponsor anything, or you just want me to mention your business on my podcast, uh, my email is my two cents pod at yahoo.com. I'll say it again. It's my two cents pod at yahoo.com. Um, I'm speaking this into existence before the end of 2021. I'm going to be making money off of this podcast. I'm going to have a sponsorship deal. I want this podcast to spread out as far as it can. That's what I'm speaking into existence. You should be hearing me say that every episode from here going forward. Me giving out my social media every time in every episode. I'm just going to let you guys be prepared for that. Um, but Thank you guys for continuously listening through me, listening to me throughout me rambling and uh, 
yeah, I'll see you guys next week. I love you guys. I love you guys. Thank you so much for listening to me this episode, listening to me this Black Friday through this Black History Month. Um, there's light at the end of the tunnel. You got to keep pushing. I know it's I know it's hard for people. I know it's going to be hard, but you just got to keep pushing. Trust me, I'm pushing along right beside you. If you want to um, clip that clip um, me saying I love you, I love you. Just keep pushing. Clip it. Use that as motivation. Get a create a, a playlist for you to put music on. Do that. Um, but you got to keep pushing. You got to keep pushing because trust me, if you keep pushing, the work's going to get easier. And if the work is easier, you'll get done quicker. And when you get done quicker, you have a lot of free time for yourself to enjoy the true need, the true things in life. And when you get to enjoy the true things in life, the things that actually matter, it makes all that work that you went through uh, just that much enjoyable when you get done and you ha- can look back at what everything that you've done. So just keep pushing. Keep going forward. There's going to light at the end of the tunnel. I love you, Gerald Garrett, G2. This podcast loves you. You guys are um, one with me, and I am one with you. I'm a man of the people. I am that guy. So if you guys need somebody to talk to, you got my Instagram, you got my Yahoo, you got my Twitter. You got everything that I actually have to reach me on these platforms. But yet again, I'm done. Um, see you guys next episode. I love you guys and I'm out.